Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Y'all good? Beautiful day. Fantastic. Um, God bless you. There had to be a mistake in that earlier announcement that Rick and Jane made about the wise and wonderful group. They said 55 and up. That would mean my wife is a senior adult. If, if, if 55 and up is the, is the line, then, uh, yeah, I mean, my wife and I are 56. That hurts so bad to, uh, to, to hear them say that. Uh, but anyway, that, that's how life goes, isn't it? Uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 3. Let's talk about uh, talk. About talk. Um, if you haven't heard yet, uh, Vernon Long died Friday night. Vernon Long is a man in our church, great man, a healthy man, walked into the hospital 30 days ago, was diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer two weeks ago, developed pneumonia late this week, went to hospice on Friday and died in four hours. Uh, it's devastating for his family, devastating for all of us who loved Vernon. Uh, Vernon was a runner, ran 12 marathons in his life. Uh, he's just an amazing, amazing man. We're really going to miss him. Vernon buried his daughter, uh, Emily, back in the day here as well. Uh, so the family's known a lot of sorrow. Pray for them. Uh, pray for Teresa Long, her daughter Chelsea, and, uh, and that family. We'll bury uh, Vernon. Woodburn Cemetery Funeral Services in this room on Tuesday at 2. Uh, so be in prayer. Um, the hard times, you all, I'm, I've done a funeral, at least a funeral a week for what seems like months. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just the season we're all in. Uh, there are things to rejoice about, too. Uh, last night, Lily uh, and Cameron Esters were married on the stage, and it was fantastic. Uh, it was a great night of celebrating uh, what God is doing for them. So uh, we weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the family of God is. Um, James chapter 3 is where we'll be. Um, Second in a message series entitled Away With Words, talking about uh, our tongue and the way we use our words every single day as believers. If I said to you, I have a friend who, who has no filter, what do I mean? You ever heard anybody say that? What's it mean to say, man, that lady, she does not have a filter. That guy, he, he talks, he does not have a filter. Pastor Tim, I want you to meet my brother-in-law, but you need to know he doesn't have a filter. I mean, I hear that kind of thing all the time. What's it mean? Tell me. Yeah, they just going to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Becky, are you confessing? No filter. Yeah, oh my goodness. How many of us in this room, not you, but you know somebody well, uh, lots of us. Yeah, if, if you say that somebody doesn't have a filter, what you mean is uh, that they just talk. They just blurt things out. They just blurt it out. If it pops into their head, it comes out of their mouths. And uh, I am often like that. God help me. Uh, God help all of us. Let's talk about that. Uh, you just open your mouth, you, you blurt things, uh, whether it's good or not, you just say what, you, what, what you're thinking. Um, those of us who don't have a filter, we make excuses for that. We'll often say something like, well, you know, uh, I'm just saying what everybody else is thinking. Okay, that was your first clue right there. If everybody else maybe thought it but didn't say it, Maybe it didn't need to be said. I mean, did you ever think about that? I mean, everybody else is thinking it, but, but maybe there's some wisdom in the ones who just let that thought die. You know, you do not have to speak every thought that pops into your head. That's lesson number one. Now, if you're one of those people without a filter, let me just say, we probably find you very entertaining. You're, you're probably entertaining, because you blurt things out and, and that shocks people sometimes, or you're funny, 
Because it's sometimes funny, and, and you get a response from people, and often those of us who speak without a filter, that's, that's what we want. We want that response from people, the laughter, the shock, whatever. You may tell yourself, well, Pastor Tim, I'm just being honest. I'm just like my mama. I'm just honest. Yeah, but what you don't understand is most of the time it's not really honest. It's just mean. You're mean. And it comes out mean, and it is felt as mean, and it's mean. Now, already some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, chill out, Pastor. You know, it's just words. It's just words. Sticks and stones break my bones. Words can never harm me. It's just words, Pastor Tim. And I agree with you. We've been talking about the ways in which we sin in our speech and there are definitely, you know, speech sins like lying and gossip. And, and there are other types of sin like, you know, murder. And I'll be the first one to say, if you're going to sin against me, I would rather you gossip against me rather than kill me. I mean, you know, I, I just would rather you lie about me than, than kill me. So we just have this way in which we, we measure sin, right? And, and in that way that we gauge the seriousness of sin, speech sins can't be that serious. And everybody, you know, lets a dirty word fly every now and then. Everybody blurts out something. Everybody puts their foot in their mouth. We don't take those sins very seriously. But the Bible does. The Bible does. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. This is what Paul says to young Timothy. He says, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless, say the word, behavior. Interesting. Paul sees this connection between talk and behavior. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. The, the lesson in that is the more careless you are in what you say, the more careless you'll be in what you do. The more careless you are in what you say, the more careless you'll be in, in what you do. As we said last week, words come from the heart. Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it comes out of you because it's in you. It's in your heart. And what's in your heart affects what's in your mind, your thoughts, your words, what comes out in your words, but ultimately the things you do, the ways in which you will behave. So these things are connected, very importantly connected, and actually, the scripture has much to say about this in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. This is probably in scripture the longest single extended teaching about what it means to control the tongue. So let's look at this together today. Uh, th this, is, uh, this is tough stuff. You ready? James chapter 3, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. I'm going to let that hang there right in your mind for a second. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever this pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. 
And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. We'll stop there. Go back to verse 1 with me. Um, It it would not be honest or fair if I didn't go ahead and preach verse 1 like I'm going to preach the rest of it. Uh, Verse 1 is more awkward for me to preach because it uh, it applies to me. It, It applies more to me. I'm not the only person in this church family that preaches and teaches, but I do most of it. And so this verse is an important warning for for those like me who do a lot of teaching and preaching in public. Not many of you should become teachers, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. We who teach will be judged more strictly. What does that mean? Well, Well, it just means that when you stand up to speak in the church, when you're teaching, preaching the word of God, what you say really matters. And I recognize that what I say really matters. This isn't in any way to make myself important. It's not about my importance. I'm not important. The Word of God is important. And when I stand to speak the Word of God, I have to disappear behind the Word of God. And that's hard. There is always this incredible danger that I could mislead people and I could mislead people. If, if, if I don't get it right, a lot of people hear me and believe what I say and will follow what I say. And, and if I get off course, I can take people with me. Back in the day, y'all ever go to the skating rink? Everybody, anybody roller skated? And then in the middle of the skating, you, you, want, you want like you know something to drink. And so you go stand in line at a concession stand. You ever done that? And then you're all in line on wheels. And then one idiot, usually me, would lose his balance and fall and then take out the whole line of people. You ever seen that? Like one person falls and just everybody's down. Um, That's the danger for the person who teaches or preaches in the church. If, if, If I go down, I can take a lot of people with me. God help me. You know, the, the other thing, of, of course, is just the, the, the being in public. It's, it's that public part. Having a platform where, where I speak and everybody listens, not only that, I mean, this goes out on Facebook Live and YouTube. I mean, this, whatever I say today will live on for years and years and years on the Internet. It, it just goes out, and, and people will hear that. And, and that is an incredible kind of opportunity. And, and some of us don't always know how to deal with that. The, the fact that when I talk, people listen, the temptation is to try to slip in, you know, personal things like opinions, 
you know, personal opinions or uh, just begin to just sort of talk about my own agenda, get you to do the things that I want you to do. There's always a temptation with that. I happen to be a very political person. I don't think most of you know that. I pray that you don't really know a lot about that because I try not to bring it into the pulpit. I'm very political, though. I listen to podcasts all the time. I read way too much politics. I, I, I have an incredible interest in uh, persuasion when it comes to our nation and its politics. And, and there's just this temptation you know, when I stand here to, to, to drop that in, to, to sprinkle that in there so, so that you'll begin to think like me or maybe vote like me. You know, I maybe can persuade you. But understand, when I preach, the only thing I have to preach is God's word. And, and the Bible doesn't endorse any of your candidates. The Bible really doesn't necessarily, you know, serve as a platform for any of our political parties. And for that reason, when I'm preaching the Bible, I should not in any way be, you know, endorsing one of your political parties. It, it, it doesn't fit. Anything that I say, it's got to be from the Word of God. It's the only content I have to preach. If I'm not preaching the Bible, I'm only talking. And none of us should be wasting our time just hearing me talk. Any authority, any importance, any weight that my words have, it comes from Scripture, not from me. I am not anybody special. So when I preach whatever I say, you need to be able to draw a straight line back to this book, back to the Word of God. I read the Scripture before I preached, so now as I preach, you should be listening and thinking and making sure that everything I say goes straight back to this book. Because if it doesn't go straight back to this book, I brought it in from somewhere else, and I'm not allowed to do that. Understand? So that's why James says those who preach, those who teach, they're going to be judged more strictly. And we should be. Now, what's James talking about, though? Is he saying that people will judge us more strictly because they do? They do. There's an expectation that when I stand up in front of you and I preach, you have an expectation that I'm going to practice what I preach. And I should. And I will be judged more strictly by you because you're going to watch my life to see if my life is in alignment with what I preach. And you should. But I'm going to be honest. I don't practice everything I preach. I can't. If I only preach the things that I can practice perfectly, then I don't have a lot to say. The point is, I, I must preach the full counsel of God's word, and I am not always a good example, but I pray, God help me, that when you listen to me preach and then you look at my life, I pray that you can at least say, Pastor Tim is on the path. I pray that you see that I'm on the path. I'm striving toward everything that, that Scripture paints out for me, but I'm not there yet. I hope you understand that. The best I can do is preach honestly. But you should hold me to the account of what I say. You should. And James says that you should, and then you will. But it's not just you. It's never just you. We said last week from the words of Jesus that every single one of us is going to give an account for every word. All of us. Preachers and you know, pew sitters alike. We're all going to have to answer for all of our words. I've just got a lot more words than some of you, not all of you, but I have more words than some of you. 
When it's my time before the throne, y'all just have a seat because it's going to take a while. If he's going to bring back all of my words, all of my words, and many of the words I speak are in public on the authority of this platform, and that just means it matters. It matters greatly, and God will hold me to a higher standard because I have dared to stand in this position and preach. That's why James says, not very many of you should ever become preachers and teachers. Now, once a year when we're trying to find new Sunday school teachers, we don't lead with that verse. We don't usually say that. But there's a strong warning there. God, help me. Don't y'all ever let me forget. Don't ever let me forget. I'm going to be judged more strictly by God and by you and You should judge me more strictly. If ever I seem to get off course, if ever something I preach doesn't seem to line up with the Bible, you need to correct me. You're reading the Bible too. You have the Bible for yourself. You read it. You hold me to account. I can be wrong. God, help me if I'm wrong. Hold me to account. It's what the book says. Now, verse 2, all of us now. Indeed. We all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, okay, hang with me. If we could control our tongues, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. Now, would we though? Like, I don't know all of you all that well, but just looking at you, you might could control your tongue, but I still, I think you got other problems. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we fix this one thing and that's going to fix everything because I'm just looking at you thinking, "Mm." what does James mean? If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. He doesn't mean perfect, perfect. Not necessarily. It's not that idea that you'd be sinless, you know, like Jesus, although, although there's something of that to it. When James uses the word perfect, he's really talking about maturity. He's talking about maturity. So he's saying that if you could control your tongue as a believer, then then that would take you to the place where you would be completely mature in Christ. Completely mature in Christ. You understand? So it's a word that that has more to do with completeness and maturity than what you're probably thinking about when it says you're going to be perfect. At the same time, we all are becoming like Jesus. That is the goal of the Christian life. That I'm to be changed, that you're to be transformed more and more every day like Jesus. So in the end, when you are perfectly, perfectly mature, you will be like Jesus, which means you will be perfect. But we got a long way to go to get there. But what James says, which I think is just brilliant, is what comes out of your mouth presents the clearest indication of where you are spiritually. You get that? What comes out of your mouth is a pretty good gauge of your spiritual maturity, your progress. So if you are one of those people like me who often just blurts out, you know, whatever you're thinking, you end up putting your foot in your mouth a lot, you hurt a lot of feelings, you ruin a lot of relationships, you can't stay married because of that mouth, you understand? This says something very important about your heart. This says something about your progress in the Christian faith, in the Christian life. Because the more you progress, the more like Christ you become, it's going to really affect the way you talk. This is what James says. If you can control your tongue, you'll be completely mature. 
So the degree to which you are in control of what comes out of your mouth is a really good gauge of the degree to which you have surrendered your heart to Jesus. Does that make sense? What comes out of your mouth presents the clearest indication of where you are spiritually. Okay, we said last week, as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It comes out of you because it's in you. That's what we said last week. But I want you to see what James says today in verse 3. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. James is now using a couple of metaphors, a couple of analogies to help you understand what he's trying to say about your tongue. First, he compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in the horse's mouth. And verse four, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes big, grand speeches. All right, these are analogies of, of size at first. The idea that it's something small that controls something much, much larger, the tiny bit in the mouth of a powerful horse, the tiny rudder at the base of a mighty ship. So these are analogies of size. The tongue is small, but still it has great power. But, but it's more than that. What, what James says is your words reveal, but also steer your heart. These analogies, the, the bridle in the, uh, in the horse's mouth, the rudder on the ship, they steer. They're small, but they are the, the small part that actually sets the direction. And this is what James wants you to understand about your words, about your tongue. It seems like a small thing. Pastor Tim, they're only words. And yes, they're only words, but they're very, very small things with great potential, great power. And what you don't understand is the degree to which your words will steer your life will absolutely chart the course, set the direction for your life. What comes out of your mouth? Your words reveal and steer your heart. I mean, James says right here that the tongue itself, uh, there are people who've set their whole life on fire. I think it's amazing. That's verse six. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. I mean, some of us in this room right here you could tell stories of when you have set your whole life on fire with words. I mean, some of us have lost jobs. We've destroyed marriages. We've, we've, we've burned down relationships with our own children for words. I mean, once you say them, you, you can't unsay them. You, you can't take them back. It's what James says. It's like a spark that lands in a dry forest. That There is a fire that, that, that comes. You can't control what happens once you speak the words, and it can set your whole life on fire. Do you see that? Do you understand that? So there's this incredible sense in which your tongue is, is that which steers your life. And that's why James says that if you could control your tongue, if you could control your tongue, you'd be in control of everything else. You'd be perfectly mature, and you'd be in control of everything. Now, that's fascinating. Let's talk about that. What's it mean to say this one thing, if you can control this thing, it would put you in the position to control everything else? Now, first off, you can't do it. Even James says it. James says, you know, if we could control our tongues, but in verse 7 he says, but nobody can tame the tongue. 
So you can't. You can't. If you could, you would have. But you can't. This is why you need Christ. This is why Christ gives you the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit in you. So that person who says, Pastor Tim, I can help, but I don't have a filter. Well, can I just tell you the truth? If you belong to Christ, you have a filter. It's called the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit begins to control your life, as the Holy Spirit begins to transform your life, you become more and more gifted in self-control. It doesn't come from you. It comes from the Spirit. You're never going to get in control of things yourself. But the Holy Spirit will do this for you. And one of the very first places that the Holy Spirit applies that power is in your mouth. Because as James says, this is sort of the, this is the lever. It's your tongue. This is the keystone habit that sort of determines all your other habits, the way you talk. Now, I say the way you talk is a habit because it is. What's a habit? A habit is just something that you do automatically. You don't even have to think about it. Some of you, you habitually, you chew your nails you don't think about it. You just do. <laughs> like five people just went, I really wasn't talking to you. It's funny. Um, but you do things without even thinking. It's, it's automatic. Those are habits. Uh, you drive too fast. You drive too slow. Uh, you, you, know? you, you, you chew with your mouth open. It's just all of these things that we do without even thinking because they're habitual. The way you talk is habitual. Those of us who just blurt things out without thinking, that's a habit. It is a habit that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to change. You've got to change. This tendency that you have to just speak angry words, you just get mad and you let words fly, that's a bad habit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to change it. Dude, you're about to set your whole life on fire. You understand? It's, it's a habit. It's a habit. Now, habits are interesting. Some habits are just kind of small habits that don't seem to have a lot of effect. Like maybe you're the person who sits at your desk at work and you chew on pencils. You, you chew pencils. Okay, your dentist would probably have something to say about that. But for the most part, you just go through a lot of pencils. You know, you chew pencils. But there are other habits, and, and, and they're what we call keystone habits, and a keystone habit is, is more than just one of those small habits. The keystone habit is the habit that when it is in place, there's a chain effect. There's like a domino effect. And that one habit will then begin to establish other habits around it. And your whole life can be shaped by a very, very few keystone habits. You following me? Years ago, I mean like 33 years ago, it was New Year's Day and I was standing in the door here at the church, uh, and Jack Wright walked through the line after the service, and uh, it was New Year's Day, and Jack said, uh, Tim, you got any New Year's resolutions? And I didn't. I didn't. But for some dumb reason, I just made one up, like talking to Jack, and I just said, yeah, you know, <laughs> I thought I might start running. Okay, I had not thought that. Like that thought had never, I don't even know why I said that. You know, I blurted that out. I, I didn't want to run. I'm not athletic. 
You know, the few times I did run, you know, the, you know Mr. Boyd in eighth grade said I was flat-footed, just don't even run. Like, he told me to stop running. I mean, you know, that's just sort of the encouragement. I've never been athletic, nothing like that. I don't know why I said that. But Jack Wright is a runner. And Jack Wright said, I'll be at your house at 6.30 in the morning. I said, why? I mean, I'm serious. Like, it was not connecting. Why? Why are you coming to my house? He said, we'll go running. I think, what did I just, you know, like, you know, blurt it out, burn your whole life down. I mean, I experienced all of that right there. So Jack worked in those days at at an office that was right around the corner from the apartment where I lived. So Jack literally came to my house at 6.30 the next morning to run. And the day after that, and the day after that, Jack Wright is a dedicated and committed man. If he says we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Jack came to my house every day for two years. In two years, I moved to Louisville, y'all. I mean, like, it's the only way. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, he did every day till I moved to Louisville, every single day. Um, the thing is, like, Jack would come if it was raining. And, like, I, you know, I'm the kind of look outside to see if it looks like I want to run. If it's cold, if it's raining, if the wind is blowing, if there are birds, you know, I probably don't want to run. But Jack is at my door at 630. Like, he doesn't stop to think, you know, you know are, are we going to die? He's just running every single day. And so I never even got to think, do I want to, do I not want to? I just had to. And so what I'm telling you is at the end of two years, man, I had a habit. 33 years later, I still wake up every morning, not every morning, I have a couple of days, I'm very strategic, but I wake up to run. I wake up to run. When I open my eyes, my first thought is my run. I don't even have an alarm clock. I don't, the alarm doesn't even have to sound for me. My body wakes me up to run. If for any reason I can't run that day, it really freaks me out. Like I get like, my body is, is so geared to run. But it's not just about running, you all. Remember I said I've never been, I've never been an athlete. I've always been just sort of a, a doofus. I never had any confidence, you know, in my, any of my abilities because I never had anything that I could prove myself in. But running became that. You just start that day with, with that kind of accomplishment. Monday morning was beautiful. I ran eight miles. I felt good. I ran nine miles. You know, that feels good. It feels good to start my week with, with that sort of accomplishment, to, to teach myself that I can push through pain. I, I can push through a lot of discomfort. If it's 22 degrees below zero, I will be out there. You know, I'm just saying, this is not some small part of my life. This has become a keystone habit. The fact that I'm going to run and then I'm going to run distance changes the way I eat. It changes the things that my body craves. It changes the way I go to bed at night. As I say, it gives me an incredible kind of confidence, an ability to sort of push through pain. I mean, this is a keystone habit for me, and so many things in my life just sort of flow out of the fact that that I've got this habit nailed down. Now, keystone habits work in positive and negative ways, and you may have a keystone habit where, like, instead of running every morning, what if instead of that, what I did was come home at night and drink a six-pack of beer? Like, what if instead of running every day, I drink a six-pack of beer every night before bed? Now, that would be a keystone habit, and it would also set the course of my life. But, but where would I be? I mean, 33 years later, if I'd been you know, drinking a six-pack of beer every night instead of running in the morning, 
don't you think that would affect a lot? Of, you think my marriage would be different? You think my body would look different? You think my attitude, you think my sense of accomplishment, do you understand what I'm saying? There are keystone habits. Now, follow me. What James says is controlling your tongue, that is the keystone habit in your Christian life. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but this is the keystone habit. This is the one that you need to get in place. This is not a small thing. When you get this keystone habit locked down, it's going to be the habit that determines other things. This is going to set the course of your life. The way you learn to control your mouth by the power of the Spirit is going to set the course of everything else. It is going to change your life at work. You're going to be a very different man, a very different woman at work because you're only going to speak the things that Jesus would say. You're only going to say the things that are true, things that are loving, things that are beneficial to others. I'm telling you, your work life, your family life, can you imagine how your children would turn out if if mama could actually control her mouth? Can you imagine how different your marriage would be if you didn't talk to your, your dog better than you talked to your wife? You just understand how your life turns. And this is what James is trying to get you to understand. This is the keystone habit. Controlling your mouth, that's like a rudder on a ship, like a bridle in the mouth of a horse. This is going to determine the way your whole Christian life turns out. Does that make sense? So how do you do it? How will we do it? I I know this is going to sound oversimple, but just because it's simple doesn't make it easy. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. If you could do this without the very supernatural power of God, it'd be different, but you can't. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Number one, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself talk. Man, I was probably six years old or something, and for Christmas, I asked for a tape recorder. Now, this is, listen to Papa, y'all. This is way back in the day. This was a reel-to-reel tape recorder like on Mission Impossible, you know, like with, with tape and wheels that went around. But I was so excited. So I, I got, got the batteries in. it, got the tape all put together. I hit record, and I just started talking. And then I pushed, you know, stop, and then I pushed rewind, and I pushed play, and I listened to myself talking. What, what did I say? This doesn't sound like me. It doesn't sound, how many of you have done that? You've listened to your voice and think, that doesn't sound like me. That doesn't sound anything like me. And, and that was my response. It's my response every time I listen to a recording myself. I think, man, I do not sound like that. You know, preaching like Woody Woodpecker, I don't, I don't sound like that, you know. But I can ask my wife, you know, does that sound like me? She's like, oh, yeah, that's you. That sounds just like you. you know? What's the lesson? You cannot hear yourself the way everybody else hears you. You have no idea what it is to be married to your mouth. You have no idea what it is to have to work for somebody with a mouth like yours. I mean, you do not hear yourself. And and sometimes you imagine you sound one way, but you sound a different way to everybody else who has to hear your mouth. You gotta learn to listen to yourself. Listen to the words that come out. Listen to how it sounds. Imagine what it would be to be your granddaughter and hear you say those words to her. Listen to yourself. About 20 years ago, there was a, a man, his name is Gordon. Um, Gordon is a Christian man. He was, was actually walking beside an older man, a very godly and older Christian friend. And, 
And they were just talking back and forth, and all of a sudden, the name of a mutual friend popped up, and as soon as that name came up, Gordon just blurted out something really nasty about the guy. I mean, just, just said something. It was, it was unkind. It was uncalled for. It was, it was nasty. And, but he just said he blurted it out, and the older Christian man just stopped. He stopped dead in his tracks. And then he took a step over and got right in Gordon's face, and he said, Gordon... I find it hard to believe that a man who says he loves Jesus would say something like that about a friend. Gordon said it couldn't have hurt any worse if you just stuck a knife in his ribs and twisted it, you know. But those are important words. I find it hard to believe that a man who says he loved Jesus would say something like that about a friend. It was like... It was like when the prophets speak and the words tear you down and build you up at the same time. Gordon says that moment really changed his life. This 20 years ago. Gordon says that to this day, he'll find himself about to say something, then he'll hear those words come back. You know, would a, would a man who loves Jesus say this kind of thing? Do you listen to yourself? Because here's the other thing that sounds simple, but it's not easy you got to think before you speak. This is what control means. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to train you to do, to, to think. To think. You don't just blurt it out. You, you, you have to think about what you're about to say. Is it true? Is it something that a person would say if that person says they love Jesus? I mean, is it something that, that Jesus would say? Is it loving? Is it kind? Is this something that ought to be said at all? Because honestly, if it ought not be said, then you need to close your mouth. Don't say it. But you have to think before you speak. Otherwise, you, you put the words out there. Everybody is more sensitive than you have any idea. You, you need to speak with kindness to everybody. I don't care who they are. That They're entitled to kindness. You need to speak with gentleness and with love. I'm telling you, everybody is as sensitive as you are. They're entitled to that. You have to think before you speak because your tongue does such damage. You can burn down your whole life. You can destroy all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, you can't undo that damage once you put the words out there. You can't unsay it once it's been said. The only thing you can do is, is somehow before the damage is done, you, you don't say it. You, you don't put the spark into the dry forest. You understand? You just think before you speak, and most of the time you choose not to speak at all. Think before you speak. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you got to understand, I don't really have a filter. I'm kind of like my daddy was, my granddaddy, and sometimes I open my mouth and my granddaddy comes out, you know, and I just sound like him. I don't really have a filter. Um, can I just remind you, uh, if you say you love Jesus, if you call yourself a believer, you have a filter. You have a filter. It's called the Holy Spirit. You must learn to speak like a person would speak who says they love Jesus. James says, you know, praise and cursing come out of the same mouth. Brothers and sisters, this ought not be. Pray with me.
Lord God, once more, I've gone over my time. I've preached by saying lots and lots of words. Lord, I open my mouth. They just pour out like a river. God, help me. Help me to surrender to you, O oh Jesus, that you might remake my heart in such a way where there is love and kindness, goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, control. So that, Lord, I, I, I have a certain measure of maintenance when it comes to my own mouth. You know I can't do this, Lord, w- without you. It's, it's, it's only by the power of the Spirit and Holy Spirit I beg you to somehow take control of me. To make it possible that the words that come out of my mouth are the words that Jesus himself would speak. Lord, the world is so cruel. The world is so mean. The world has no filter. Everybody in the places where we work, everybody, Lord, at the family reunion, everybody everywhere we go, Lord, they just speak, Lord, and the words are mean and the words are foul and the words are blasphemous and profane. Lord God, make us to be different. Give us new hearts. Give us new minds. Give us mouths, Lord, and then send us out into this world to speak words of life. Oh, Lord Jesus, words of life for our families, words of life for our friends, words of life, Lord, for all of those who must be on the other side of our words. Can't do it without you, Lord Jesus, but we're never meant to do it without you. We surrender to you that you might control us, all of us, every part of us, especially our mouths. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.